0: and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2. Today I have Chelsea Kadditch, uh with me today and she's the Director of Marketing Operations at McGraw-Hill. And we're going to be talking about some... This is a unique topic. It's hard to get it into like one word, but we're going to be going through kind of like a non-conventional approach to um, kind of your sales process, lead process, life cycle, and like handoff, and what that means, how to operationalize that, um, and just taking a different lens um, on that whole process, because I think... For a lot of marketing ops folks, we get used to like one way of doing something, and then you go to a new organization, and it it could be completely different. The business model could be different. So just taking a look into that, some challenges you run into, and just being open-minded, which is something that I think a lot of marketing ops folks are realizing they they need to do. So welcome to the podcast, Chelsea.
1: Hey there. Thanks for having me, Chrissy. How are you doing?
0: Good. Yeah. I'm excited for this one because I think I'm going to learn a lot, (laughs) So, uh, which is always – I mean, I always do on every podcast, actually, but I think definitely for this one. So um, one thing that I always ask our guests is to kind of chat through their – um, their background like how they a lot of people fall into marketing ops and and how they did that and what the transition was like and what appealed to them and you're actually a, a five-time marketo champion um and you know you have a lot of experience in this space and um you know leading people and teams and so forth and um so i i think it would be great to hear uh how you basically got to where you are now
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like a lot within the marketing ops space, I did not start out in marketing ops. I feel like it's more of an established um, piece of the industry now. So um, I actually started off, uh, I feel like I I always want to give a nod to my barista days at Starbucks because I feel like they gave me great customer service skills. Um, You meet a lot of divas when they come through Starbucks. So it helped me really understand to work with people and all types of different people. So I actually got my degree in PR, and um, my first role outside of college was actually doing events, event planning, corporate event planning um, for PR Newswire at the time. And that's where I kind of started getting into marketing technology. So you know, to promote the events and to attend the events, I started using Marketo and other um, you know CRMs and MA systems and really started to understand that maybe I'm a technical person. I just didn't know it because I never you know, really have experienced it before. So um, from there, I kind of just took off with that career and went to GE, um, a small little lighting company. <laughs> um, you know, probably heard of Not it sure before. If you heard of it. Yeah, yeah, right. So and I, I was there really learned a lot in the industry. And then now um, I'm here um, at McGraw Hill. And um, I've also had some agency time as well. So I've kind of been all around agency, different industries, but I've landed in education. And I got to say, I've probably Um, you know, I I really enjoy doing the education piece.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Well, when was that like kind of moment that you realized or do you remember like a specific moment at um, PR Newswire when you were just like, oh, like I feel like this route, like this technology and understanding the process and people that really like appeals to me. Like, do you even remember like a moment or uh, when that happened or something you were working on where you really realized that?
1: Yeah, I want to say when I just started to dig into the systems, because I never really used any before, right? And I think it was two part, it was one that I enjoyed doing it. But I realized I was actually pretty good at it. According to Mm -hmm. you know, my team and my manager, they're like, you really have a knack for this type of stuff. And I was like, I do. Um, And then I started doing more, I started doing more reporting and training on it. And I was like, yeah, this is I want to live in the data. I love being behind the scenes. Um, I was never really into doing Content or email copy or anything like that. I just loved kind of being the machine that fuels all that stuff. So I, I think it was just a, kind of being pushed into having to do the platform, but then I just kept using it and I was happy and, you know, it made me excited and wanting to come to work every day. For
0: sure. Was were there any like resources that like really helped you like propel your career on your own? Like, was there something were you self? I'm assuming you're self taught for m- uh, most of it, as most people are. But was there anything that really helped you?
1: Yeah, I was mostly self taught, but we actually worked with an agency at the time, and okay. um, yeah, my manager invested into some PD budget for me, and I actually flew down to the agency, and they gave me like a three day training of CRM, marketing automation systems, how reporting works. So, um, having the support of my manager at the time to invest in that was another, you know, another way for me to kind of get that, that full on training.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that, um, I working with an agency, I think it's kind of like with us, with some of our clients, like they, the people that we end up working with just tell us like how much of a learning experience it is just because like you can get that knowledge transfer like so easily and quickly and naturally just in your day-to-day job instead of having to kind of do a job, teach yourself something, do it like kind of learn and fumble a bit. You have like an expert kind of line open to you um, and and gets you kind of thinking and frameworks and strategic ways of doing stuff, which is um, it can be a bit more focused but really applicable to what you're doing. So I think kudos to your boss at the time for it, like realizing and investing in that. That's, that's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would say too, that's another piece of why I really value agencies and consultants because you're, you're exactly right is you can also train and learn from them. And they also are an extension of your team. I've always worked yeah. with an agency or been on the agency side. And I got to say like, it's just, it really is worth the investment. And I love that we can, you know, all learn from each other as well. For sure. For sure.
0: Yeah. Um, so a big part of what we're going to talk about today is around like marketing and sales alignment, kind of like the, a lot of the things that we think are just like processes necessary for marketing ops, like, you know, building out a life cycle and the definitions and scoring. Like, I think it's all around kind of that, like, you know, alignment piece, like how do we work with sales? How do we give handoff? How do we show them like who's ready? But just for you, like, why do you think like marketing and sales alignment is like so critical and and have you experienced cases where the alignment was great versus like the alignment was poor and like what were some of like that the like symptoms of that
1: yeah no I've definitely experienced it all across the board so I first think it's important just because as we've all realized the industry is shifting to rev ops right I mean I know internally at McGraw-Hill our sales and marketing team, were now one and we report out, you know, to a chief revenue officer. Um, Mm. So now I feel like it's more important than ever because it's almost forced in a way. I mean, we are all within the pipeline, right? I mean, before it could be a little bit more siloed because you really were separate, but now with the technologies integrating together, um, you know, sales enablement, working with marketing teams, I just feel like it has to happen. I, I would say our team here works really well. So I have some good examples to share, but I've also had some Um, whether it was a client I worked with at an agency or at some of my previous roles where it wasn't that necessarily didn't get along. It was just like the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. Right. So there's a lot of like duplicate communications to customers, customers who reached out and never heard back. Um, So I feel like it's important because it's also, it's your customer experience. Right. And those are, Mm -hmm. those are who and how you make your money. So Um, I've experienced a lot of different alignment pieces. So I have a lot of tricks that I've kind of come up with and lessons learned, um, because it always hasn't been really good on my end.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So we'll dive into some of the things that you're doing well, um, which will be good to focus on. But I do, I think that's interesting, because instead of you saying like, you know, things are shifting towards revenue operations, you really talk about how sales and marketing is one now. And I think saying that and not just, uh, sales ops and marketing ops are one now, you know, it's, it's a lot different. I think some, I think for, for me, I think when people ask me about rev ops, like, Oh, is that the way to go? And I'm like, honestly, it depends because I think it's more like you're trying to tackle an alignment issue, but it just trying to get like one side of the, like the operations aligned doesn't always, you know, add up to a perfect alignment like it's really kind of an organizational shift to get everyone realizing that they own this customer experience together they're gonna like they have one common goal of revenue and then how they can all work with each other so i love that you said sales and marketing is one um which is is probably a reason why you're able to build some this alignment pretty easy or easier than it would be without Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned customer experience because that's what it's all about. Right. And that's that's kind of what drives our mission here is we're not doing this for I mean, at the end of the day, it is a business purpose. Right. But we're really passionate about getting back to our customers. So we all we're all on the same side. (laughs) That's the other thing I was trying to say is like we're not battling here. We're all just trying to service our customers. So let me help you, you know, with that.
0: Totally. Yeah. 100% 100% customer experience like I I've talked about it on like Lean Data's podcast I did it at like a workshop at Lean Data but I was I think sometimes in marketing ops like we forget like most of all the important things that we do can support the customer experience or analytics and then your analytics is to improve that customer experience or you know make changes or improve your marketing so I think when if we start to think about it more from this way it gets us like, I, I think it changes the narrative of like, oh, we're just like, you know, pushing buttons and doing things that like are behind the scenes or like we're fixing data. It's like, no, we're really supporting and enabling the revenue team to create a good customer experience. But I think focusing your yeah. projects on that end goal is, is key. So I think we're 100% aligned on that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so one thing that you mentioned is that you know, a little bit unconventional, but at McGraw Hill, you don't use a, like a lead lifecycle process or any kind of traditional lead scoring. Um, can you maybe chat through why that is and like, what, what's kind of like the goal or how are things structured and how do you then like create that handoff or prioritization for sales? Like, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. And and normally when I tell people that, you see like a shocked look on their face that we don't leave. I know they're like, well, how do you do it? So, um, again, I will say this doesn't work for all businesses. This just works for us right now. And Mm -hmm. we will adapt and evolve over time. But one thing for for my organization specifically is we're a pretty reputable brand in the education space, right? A lot of people, you know, it's the synergy of education and McGraw Hill. It's kind of, you know, it goes hand in hand. So we get a lot of, organic or campaign based traffic already and when I say a lot we get enough for the sales reps to work so um, the one one thing that we do is we call them hand raiser forms but essentially we have different sales ready forms which a lot of times that's included in scoring as well so it's like you know re- contact the rep we request a sample um, you know try a print sample digital sample what have you now we get enough traffic there for our sales reps to still be within the two-day SLA we have for them to work the tasks. And they're even struggling to be at that two day just because of the pure volume we have. Mm-hmm. So until I can either we grow our sales team, which we have quite a robust sales team, or those requests start to die down, I'm not going to give sales anybody who we think is interested or ready by behavior and demographic data when we have people who are literally raising their hands saying, I want to be contacted and we can't keep up. So again, a lot of organizations don't have that because we're just we just have a lot of traffic to our website naturally. So that's mm-hmm. the reason we do it now is because most of what sales is ready for, and when and when teachers are ready, are those handraisers that we've developed and we did research on. Everybody else, you know, we nurture and we do the marketing pieces with them, and a lot of our campaigns integrate those handraiser forms to send to sales.
0: Yeah, I. I think that you make a good point. And I think it doesn't even have to apply to I think a company where you're getting a ton of those hand to fill all the sales. It's like I think the goal is to, for a majority of what people work inbound, like you want those to be hand raisers. You want them to be ready because from you say a customer experience perspective, like if you send over someone who's too early to a salesperson, one, it wastes their time. But also it's not really a great experience for the customer either. They're like, I just wanted to like read this like ebook or I was just on your site like trying to just figure out who you are and now I'm just bombarded and and I think smart marketers now are realizing, okay, let's, you know, let's put out as much great content as we can. Let's let the person like do all the research themselves, but let's have enough points in our customer experience on the website or wherever that to do these hand raiser activities. So then when someone is ready or is thinking that they're ready, they'll actually Do it right, and and that I feel like you the conversion rate will just be so much higher. I would, I would assume, like now that you are sending over just like hand raisers, you like have you do you see that your conversion rates have you know been above like benchmarks? Um, or like, do you, yeah, do you see that?
1: Yeah, we see it above benchmark. And we also like as the years have gone by, we launched our routing strategy four years ago, I think. Um, okay. And every every year, our sales accepted percentage increases. So I mean, that just shows us too, that we're sending very good quality leads over. We've also yeah. made, we, this was like one large project. And I've had about five mini projects throughout the four years um, that I've used as well for us to enhance the routing. So it just makes those numbers better, right? Um, but to your point of making sure that we send them who's ready, the other thing we do too is within these hand forms, our forms are pretty lengthy. And I know a lot of people are thinking I'm committing like a cardinal sin of marketing, but teachers usually know what they want when it comes to print samples. Like they know the ISBN, they know everything they want. And for us, we feel like if they are committed to getting a print sample, the form's going to have to be lengthy for us to truly understand what they're trying to sample. So We send over to sales that exact form fill and every detail that we have on that person within the task comment. So the other good thing this does is sales is prepped and ready um, to have an educated conversation with the customer.
0: Yeah. I I, I love that as well. I think uh, my big thing is like kind of like rethinking everyone's like just common thinking. I think a lot of people are like, oh, shorten your forms, keep them as short as possible. And it's like, People, But people started to think that because they had forms on everything. (laughs) So they're like, if someone hits one of our forms, we need to keep them short. But there's also a case where, like, a hand raiser, yes, is a hand raiser, but you're right. Like, for, I mean, for people who aren't even sending, like, a sample, if they're just doing a demo, like, it doesn't mean they're qualified. So trying to figure that up, out, like, out up front is key. And you could do that through questions on your form. You can do that with like a conversational chat bot and you can route them like different ways. It's just focusing on like, how do we make sure that person's qualified? And then to to your point, like, okay, if we think about our own buyer's experience, I would much rather just plug what I want into a form than someone forcing me to just reiterate that back to them on a call. I'd rather them come to that call prepared to talk about what I want and so you're really thinking about the customer experience there for sure because like that just makes that whole process seamless and now you've instead of a demo call and then you know or the discovery call telequalification qualification call it's all kind of been done from your form so they can go straight to trying to really sell the value
1: yeah and, and it also helped us see gaps as well So for example, you just Mm. mentioned a great way about the customer experience. We used to have a gap where we have a a customer service team. um, It's either digital technical support or they get customer requests, right? We had an issue where they would literally forward an email to the sales rep saying, Hey, this person is better suited for you. Please reach out to them. And what did we lose? We lost the entire insight to that customer because they just sent it through an email. So we realized, okay, customers are not getting followed up with because they're sending it to the email and sales reps aren't held accountable in the email, they're used to tasks. So a project that we launched is we now have a routing strategy of when a customer service member gets somebody who's better suited for sales, we now have it automated where it goes to the sales rep and any other pipeline that it usually comes so they're not forgotten. So we would have never experienced that if we didn't have the strategy set up um, to see the gaps for us that we need to fix.
0: Totally. And I think that iterative approach, I think, is something that's really key. And I think when you're focusing on that whole customer experience, and you look at this as like a long term, you know, you've been talking about like, okay, I've been working on these changes for four years, right? For some people, they're like, four years? Like, why are you working on for four years? And but really, our, our customer experience and the and the features and everything that we're building in Ops are are always iterative. Same thing as a, as a as a product. Like iPhone doesn't just like ship a phone and goes, OK, guys, we'll come back to this in five years, you know, because <laughs> um, they learn, they understand from the customer, they, they have new innovations that they can um, tap into. And that's really the way that marketing ops um, should be thinking about how you're really, you know, delivering this like product or that service to um to the customer. So I, I think that that iterative approach, like you said, oh, we found gaps is 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 key. Like you learned and then you iterated. And I, I wanna send that home because I think a lot of the times we in mobs we don't really we don't operate that way. We always just like move on
1: to the next thing or the next thing
0: and the next thing and then never go back.
1: Um yeah. So to that point of iterating the process, that's something that we actually do quarterly and we could get into this a little bit more, but we also do sales surveys. So that's about iterating the process as well. Um, we have, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, we have interviews with sales members on a quarterly basis. Um, and we interview DMs, RVPs, sales reps, inside sales. You know, we have a, a nice diverse uh, group that we interview and actually that's where most of our enhancements come from is the sales reps actually telling us Here's an issue I have, and I need you to fix this. And then we usually, if we roll out any new enhancements, we'll survey them through like a survey monkey. So it's quicker of, okay, if we roll this out, how do you guys feel about this process? Is it worth my team's time, resources, bandwidth? Um, and they they all speak up. I mean, I got to tell you, get on the phone with a sales rep, and they love to talk through their process. So we just listen and hear them out. And that's where we get a lot of our good our good advice on how to strategize and improve our routing process.
0: Yeah, I love I love that so much because one thing that we talk about in our um uh product uh mops framework is just um kind of the internal customers and external uh like we call them IUs and EU's but internal users external users we you have your internal users a big one is that the salesperson um but I like your idea of surveying it's actually something. At CS2, we might start incorporating with our just our own clients because even outside of the that team, we want to get insights into um, the sales team. It's something that we do naturally through the process, but to actually put more of a survey where you're gathering those insights and research because sales might have a great idea for improvement, but they also might have a nice hypothesis for something. Oh, this is broken or this is this way, but really it's not. It might just be a symptom of something else that needs improvement. So being able to show or go back and say like, okay, that hypothesis is not correct, but this is, this is, it helped us figure out what's there. So surveying, I think is, is really great. And, um, if you don't feel comfortable sending out surveys to sales or interviewing them, I think at least finding like one person or stakeholder that you can really be close to, to like build a relationship with where you, can meet like on a certain cadence where you're talking and gathering those insights, I think is key too. So if you're at a smaller company, that could be like your SDR manager is a great one because they're like that first line to, you know, experiencing like what you're building.
1: Yeah. I, I like that you ID'd that because, you know, we are a larger organization, but I always say, um, we always say they're like a sales champion or somebody who believes in what you're doing also is kind of on the front lines as you speak really partnering with them because not only can you see enhancements of your process, you can use them as an advocate too, for your team. Because yes. we know there's a lot of tension sometimes if marketing sends some bad quality leads or we're trying to keep sales too accountable. I can see where sales can get frustrated. I totally hear them on that. So I feel like if you have somebody who's well-respected by their sales peers, believe in what you're doing, we'll give you candid feedback, use them as much as you can partner with them you know, really have them be an advocate for you guys too, because, you know, other people might be like, oh, you know, John saw great success doing this pattern or doing this new process. Maybe I should try it too. So uh, yeah, definitely a a champion, if you will, somebody internal, we actually have that beyond like our surveys. We have people who I'll just bounce ideas off of. um, And a couple of them are in leadership, which is great for our team, you know, to try to do some beta testing with them or for them to help advocate for us.
0: Yeah, I I like think. And don't be afraid to work with like leaders. Um, I think sometimes it, we can be like, oh, it's not worth their time or it's not, you know, but I think start to like build those relationships and then find ways to make it part of their time you know like just be accommodating um, and then sell the benefit oh I want to improve this for your team we're trying to make sure that your team can be you know this more effective like really sell the value for what's good for them I think with marketing and marketing out sometimes the one of the things that gets in the way of alignment is because marketing's like okay here's this thing go use it. Oh, and make sure you like fill out all these fields so that we have the data that we need,
1: you know, and it's like, and
0: then, and then the sales yeah. people are like, no.
1: <laughs> like, you, want me, you want me to do more? What? Yes. I mean, I always say to, the other thing I say a lot, too, is that what's in it for me factor. I mean, come on, of course, they're going to know what's in it for them. And sometimes what's in it for them is we are going to be pushing you quality leads that can turn into opportunities. And, you know, we've had some great examples that we've highlighted where marketing has generated a contact or a customer and it got pushed to, you know, a pretty big opportunity. We use that a lot too, to share like customer success stories. Because again, you have to remember they're your customer. We are an internal, yes, we're internal, but sales is my customer, right? So sharing some of those stories of how it's been successful is another great way to kind of get people on board
0: totally i mean this is kind of, kind of more applicable to marketo users but like 9 years ago like i was leading uh, marketing operations for kind of more of a global company and um we had our like uh sales meetings it was like every everyone on sales was on the line and um we got um one of our like best sellers uh to Basically talk about, cause we had just rolled out Marketo. We'd switched from a, a older product uh, to Marketo and we're launching uh, new market operations, So I had to build out like the function and the process and stuff. And, um, but we also had MSI. So it was kind of like to show off MSI, but also how can salespeople use it? And so we just took her biggest deal and had her show the opportunity analyzer, where it just showed like all the touch points that happened and how marketing influenced that deal and, and what was the length of it. And, um, and then also she, we had her chat through how she could use those insights that she saw like with her SDR. And so it's not groundbreaking so much anymore, but back then it's still, it's still kind of a nice thing to show off. It's, it's like slide candy. So I always say like for some marketing people, you still have that, so if you want to take your biggest deals, like go and analyze them. It's actually just great data too to see like what's that customer experience look like for a big deal like that. How many people are involved? Are there any like contact roles that we didn't see that aren't on the count because that actually brings some leads in? So it's kind of like a little
1: secret tip to kind of create that alignment too. Yeah, I love that showcasing right, and uh, they they don't know about it unless you show them. So. And of course, show them a deal that, that was great and that probably earned some great commission for that sales rep, right? Because <laughs> that'll be good <laughs> yeah. for them, you know? I love it. Yeah. Um. One
0: thing that... So since you guys do hand over um, hand racers and um, you have like your different, you know, process in place to pre-qualify those, what happens to the leads who come through and then don't? do a hand or form like do you have like a nurturing in place like and because i think for some marketers too they're they're always like so nervous oh i'm gonna miss out on like this person who's probably really ready for sales like do you also let happen to like do any type of nurture to still push those hand raiser activities in front of them even after you capture them
1: Yeah, we do. So we have a lot of ongoing nurtures that the other half of my team that I manage actually runs, and they do a great job of doing those. A lot of times, their portfolio, uh, we have portfolios here at McGraw Hill. So, you know, think your elementary education, um, high school, it's kind of like verticals or industry verticals, if you will. So, a lot of times, we do them per like the product or portfolio basis. So, we do have these where we're pushing the hand raisers to them. Um, I will say our marketing in general is pretty active, though, too, because we have so many samples we have to send out per year. There's budget put behind samples. So there is a lot of hand raising opportunity. Um, But I totally hear you on I I did have a worry of are we missing out on these people? So one thing we are working to incorporate is and now I probably can't lead with we won't we don't use lead scoring. But our inside sales team is usually the biggest driver or I guess the biggest recipient of all of our tasks, um, according to our reporting. They have a little bit of a larger team. And so we're actually rolling out lead scoring uh, here within the next couple of months just for them. So we took an opportunity of, okay, we know inside sales has the most recipients of these tasks. A lot of times they don't have a, oh, I'll just call up the principal of that school type of relationship, like the field reps do. And we did notice that, okay, if we do pilot this, we got an account of what the traffic would look like. And it's not overwhelming for inside sales. So we are going to pilot it. Um, we're actually in the final stages of doing so. And then from there, I'll see, is it worth it? Are we getting more opportunities tied to this lead scoring? Or should we, in fact, keep it as is and kind of drive it that way? So we are doing some experiments on our side to see if there's a way or if we're missing out on those people, like you mentioned, because naturally, as a marketer, I had the same you know perspective of, I don't want to miss out on somebody who's really engaged, but just hasn't quite filled out a form yet.
0: Yeah. Are you are you building that lead scoring yourself in your market automation platform or are you using any like external tools or data points to kind of help you prioritize?
1: We're just doing it yeah, within the architecture of um, Marketo right now. So we have a lot of experts on our team. We're really lucky to have that. So we built out that strategy. I, I worked um, alongside an agency to develop what the scores would look like since it's brand new to us. So yeah, we have it. We're using that for right now. Um if we feel like we need something else, you know, we'll incorporate that too. Yeah. I think
0: for some folks too, like I think I I I posted something about this on LinkedIn last week and I was like, "Oh, lead scoring just needs like a makeover, you know, because I think in some ways it's become this like like everything's become a little bit of like a dirty word or it's like outdated." And I think some people are like, "Oh, lead scoring like whatever that doesn't it's like well it's really like you can if you're purposeful like you you saw something like a problem you're like okay let's build out a model let's also like pilot it and let's make sure that that like it's tied to like a a specific person Purpose, so you can get really honed in on like what data makes sense of like what we're going to score. Um, so like individual product scoring is good, but you're really trying to measure intent. And so sometimes like with a hand raiser, that's really easy. Okay, you're ready. You're you have intent. But for some other companies, especially maybe where they, you know, they do want to try and build traction and and see where, where they might be missing out on some other intent signals. You still want to keep your threshold high but maybe still try and figure out how you want to measure the intent and also the fit. Cause I think for some folks too, where they don't have something as some like a clear concrete criteria they can add to a form. They still want a way to really try and figure out, is this the right lead that we should send over to, to sale? So I think, um, scoring and is, uh, it, it's something that's value valuable, but like everything when it's been, use the wrong way, it can become devalued in the market. So it's just the way you use it. I I was like, let's just call it intent valuing, you know?
1: Yeah, like put some other term on it so people don't hear it. I I agree. I think lead scoring has come to that point. And kind of what you mentioned, we are doing, I would, maybe I should change the name of it because it really isn't lead scoring, I guess. But we are um, omitting a lot of roles. We're omitting some products. We're only including some products. So it's a very picky lead scoring model, if you will. Um, Because we know on the education space, we obviously have a history of talking to decision makers. So we love teachers, we all do, but we know that a lot of times teachers might not be the decision makers on certain purchases, right? They're really into the print samples, the the demos. um, And we obviously will always be, you know, services customers for those things because their influence means a lot to us. But for inside sales, we know it's your principals, curriculum directors, sometimes superintendents. So we are actually only including those demographical roles to even qualify to be scored. So we already kind of chopped it in half, you know, at the onset. Um, And that was just a way for us to be like, I wanted to be extremely strict going into this because I don't want any sales reps, you know, they all talk. I don't want them to be like, oh yeah, you know, the marketing ops team installed lead scoring. It was a mess. It was people who were interested. It was so off the wall. So I would rather be extremely conservative and have them have less traffic, but more focused traffic right now. I like that you say that because
0: I think so many uh, folks will go the opposite. They're like, let's just like have a low threshold first. And then maybe if we see like it's too much... Let's just create a higher threshold. It's like, no, (laughs) that's also not another. Sometimes I can understand, and like you do need to come uh, 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 when you're working with clients, that's a bit truck, but you, I think, like you said, salespeople talk and you want to build trust, and it's always better to just put out like something that's a bit stricter, something that's only going to send over those gems. Because if you're sending a, a bunch of other, for lack of better words, like crap, then like, they're just going to focus on that crap. They're not going to see the gems, you know? So it's better. You can you can iterate again, like we said. You can make the change and you can monitor, oh, that person should have probably mql Okay, what did we miss out on? Okay, let's just, you know, let's change that. But it's better to be restrictive. And that's why I always say, like, set your standards high, like really high at first, um, because it's likely that that is... It's just going to have like better adoption, but it's probably just going to be better in general, especially for organizations where you do have a, like a huge amount of leads coming through. The whole goal is to like improve your conversion rates. And you're not going to do that when your reps are just focusing on the wrong thing. So I like I like being like setting your standards really high, um, like everyone. As we should, in all areas do. of life, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Why settle? Okay. Um, so as you've gone through this process, I know you talk about to you, like you don't have like a traditional life cycle. Like how do you measure people throughout your funnel?
1: Yeah. Um, I get that question a lot and it's all based on our tasks. So again, we, if Marketo ever gets rid of the task object integration with Salesforce, uh, call me up cause I'll be crying. <laughs> so let's make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but we use, Uh, we base it all on our tasks and how our tasks generate to Salesforce. So um, within the task comments, we have a lot of, we have like an operational section that lets us know portfolio, campaign ID, um, various things that we need for reporting. So right now we actually just launched our leads and opportunities dashboard, which is a huge win for us. I'm so excited. Um, We just announced and it's in production. Uh, We use Tableau for our visualization tool. And essentially um, the way that we report out on it is, Once a rep receives the task, they can then, you know, sales reject and say why, or they can sales accept and um, link it to an opportunity. So since all the tasks are linked to opportunities, we are able to report on pipeline because we can report on those opportunities that came from the tasks. So it's all integrated within the Salesforce workflow, which is nice. Um, So we can report out on Our pipeline, our generated revenue, how long it takes on average to get back to customers, how long it takes on average to um, create an opportunity or to not create an opportunity. So we can see kind of that sales cycle. Um, We can see it based on campaigns, which rely to channels, which rely to efforts. We got tracking URLs. So we have a very robust tracking system in place that we are still able to report out on a funnel for conversion rates um, and give some really, really detailed data on what campaigns are driving in revenue and how much.
0: Yeah. I I like that idea a lot too, because, um, you also can see like repeat kind of journey. So if they do like maybe not accept that, that record, like that task the first time, if there's a new task that gets created, it kind of restarts that. And, um, it's one of the things that we like with, some of our clients where they want to track a typical lifestyle and they're like, oh, well, I just want to track it on the lead of contact and put, put like date fields together. And it's like, but then when you go down to do the reporting, then we all know, like, it's so hard to do that just for leads and contacts in general and being separate. And then also having repeat buyer journeys. So we always try and chat through, okay, let's, let's put onto a different object, like a campaign member or, A custom object and you've kind of associated that okay we're gonna think about this through like a task um and so i i I like that way of thinking because it fits your model um but also it's something like you said that kind of like can easily be um reported on and tracked and in a certain way and i think that's a a great thing for anyone who's listening is like it doesn't have to fit the mold of like what you've been told before from a vendor or from whoever, like, or even what you thought was like the right way to do it. I think being resourceful, being like rethinking the way you're doing something, but still getting the same end result that you want is really a truly the mark of a, of a good ops person.
1: Yeah. And I, I love how you say good ops person, because that's what, what the point I was going to make is we could not have done this if we don't have the proper Salesforce talent. I will say partnering with the Salesforce team was monumental as well because they did half of this right we worked with them for these workflows Um, and having a good mops person strategy wise high level but also a good mops person who can get in the weeds and for some companies that's the same person for other companies you know that have more budget or more time and resources that's several people so i'll say like and you don't always have to like buy a tool you don't always have to get something that will solve your problems, like use the systems for what they've been used for. There's custom objects. There's custom workflows. There are things and systems that I feel like people don't even get to the bottom of. Um, and I love how you said it doesn't fit the mold because ours by far does not, but it works for us. Right. So, I mean, I, I what I try to tell people too, when they're first starting out is first of all, if you're in leadership, hire a good Mops person, you will be very happy you did. Um, And then, you know, test the limits of your systems, use the systems for what you're paying them for, and you'll see the investment, you know, out of them at large, really.
0: Yeah. And if you are a new leader going to another organization, don't be like seeing something you're not used to and wanting to change it all. Like, I think be open minded that like there's probably a, a reason or if there's a system that works, but it doesn't fit the mold of what you saw before. You don't need to go in and, and change everything. I I sometimes always compare like a new CMO or a new person in leadership of like someone buying a new house and then they're like, this doesn't fit my esthetics so I'm going to change the whole thing, you know, and you're like, can't wait to do it. And you rip everything out, even if it's like a brand new kitchen or something. Um, and that's okay. That's your house. That's personal, right? But when if you had roommates or you had other people paying rent, you don't do that, right? Like you have to like get it approved by someone or chat it through, compromise. That's the same thing going to an org. Like you can't just go in and just like remodel your new house that you might <laughs> stay in for two years.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really love that analogy because I have seen time and time again where you know, somebody comes in and they are an expert, but it's like, I love how you to be open-minded. Cause if I wasn't open-minded coming into this role, believe me, when I came into this role, I was like, what is this whack routing model? <laughs> like what is going on here? And as I learned, you know, I trusted my leader at the time. So I knew I was like, okay, I know she has good intentions. She's extremely smart. I'm going to dig into this because I'm not going to change this up. Right. I yeah. dug into it and I was like, oh, this is great. But I could, I see right away, three enhancements we can make. Let's keep this, but enhance it. So I agree with you. Be patient with the process. Under like Do your interviews. And I always say, when you start a new organization, you should be not making any major changes within six to seven months. You should just be listening, researching, asking people how they do things, looking at customers. If you make a change, it might be too premature.
0: Totally. Yeah, T- I think... Um... I 100% agree with that. And it helps you build those relationships with those teams that you are relying on, like sales ops. Like if they see you as just like, oh, my gosh, Chelsea just wants to change everything. She's creating so much work for us. Like this isn't on our roadmap. This isn't what we're going to do. And then you don't win a champion. But when they you come in, you understand you're like addressing. And then you go, oh, OK, this is really great. But this is where I can see improvement. And this is my idea. Like, what do you think about it? you know, that's a way better way to win, um, just like champions in the org and people that are going to want to do things for you. Cause how many mobs people have like had a project and then they're working with sales ops and sales ops is like, no, you know, or we'll do it like in two months, you know? But part of that is like, you didn't even bother to build a relationship with them to even know like what they're working on. Like you need to, build the relationship first, figure out a cadence where they know where work's coming down to them from you and then be open-minded and, and realizing like, and, and this also goes down to tech debt because I think a lot of the times like people go into an org and they see all this tech debt and they're like, Oh, it's their fault. It's like, no, it's not their fault all the time. It's probably they inherited all of that and they're doing their best. And so I think empathy too is something When it comes to just like alignment in general, but especially across organizations and when you're in them, like definitely have more empathy for your, for your coworkers, you know, like it doesn't, it's not always a certain way because someone made a mistake.
1: Yes. And be kind. Like it's just, it's basic. It's just basic relationships. Be kind, right. And to your point, you have empathy. I mean, I can tell you I've been here for what, two and a half years and we still have tech debt. We haven't been able to clean up because x y and z barriers like there are so many barriers to it so and you know my team is extremely hardworking. and if somebody came in and kind of assumed something of course i'd get defensive right and you have to think this is their babies this is their home if you will so don't come just you know stomping all over it i always make sure that i i'm like you know what you're in this position for a reason i need to trust your expertise let's talk about this and i want to learn more um Yeah. If you go and stomp all over people, you're not going to have any friends or fans or anybody who wants to do anything for you, (laughs) right? Everybody's just going to think you're a pain. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. I have one last question because I know we're running
0: out of time, but I did want to make sure to ask, but what in your opinion is like one of the biggest thing um, getting in the way of sales and marketing aligning with each other, or maybe even something that a marketing ops person is doing from making sure that there is that alignment or adoption on the processes they're creating.
1: Yeah, I would say I really think a lot of times it comes down to process and people. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think it's simple as that. I think that you, those who have the right systems, most of the systems you have can do the job. Um, a lot of times it comes mm-hmm. to, oh, we've done it this way for 20 years or I don't want to change because what's the payout for me? And again, that kind of mm-hmm. goes with people too. If you have people who are reluctant to change, reluctant to take on a new process, right there is going to stop, you know, any type of enhancements you want to make. So, and I, that's why I love to talk about relationships because it really is about relationships, educating, hearing them out, what's in it for them and, you know, making those changes. I think that's probably the biggest roadblock.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I love this conversation. I feel like I could keep going for a long time, but there's a lot of great tips here for, for anyone in, in mops ops, rev ops, growth ops, whatever you want to call it. Um, or even in, in demand gen, but really how to create alignment and rethinking your processes and, um, your life cycle and how you route leads and how you, you know, qualify them coming through. I think everything should be rethought. Um, but then also, you know, you don't have to change everything, you know, but just going in open-minded, being open to things um, and also seeing that you don't always have to fit this mold of one way of doing something and leveraging your tools. I think like you said is super key because uh, I I put out my recommend or my predictions for 2022 and it was like simplification of process and sophistication of customer experience. That was my, because I think the more we can simplify internal processes and the tools we have to manage and things like that, we can actually focus on sophisticating our customer experience. So I I think this, this whole podcast, like kind of just led into that. Yes, that's great. (laughs) Awesome. Well, um, thanks, Chelsea, for joining us. We'll be um, sharing Chelsea's uh, LinkedIn profile so you can follow her there um she she is a you know really big in the marketo space she's been a past champion for you know five years and so there's um also a lot of content that you can find um with uh you know her name on it in regard to um in the marketo world but also in the mops world so definitely check her out um there and connect with her and if you enjoyed this episode of forward thinking feel free to share it with your colleagues and friends Uh, and we'll see you next time have a good one. Thanks for watching.